This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. It's been a whirlwind fortnight for Malaysia between record coronavirus cases and troubled politics that culminated in Ismail Sabri Yaakob being sworn in as the country's ninth prime minister. This, of course, follows the resignation of Mukhidin Yassin after just 18 months following the loss of a parliamentary majority. Barely a week into his premiership, Mr. Ismail Sabri, who was also Omno's vice president, has wasted no time in getting down to business. Yesterday, he announced that he had already prepared his cabinet list which is pending the king's approval, and that opposition MPs would not be appointed as cabinet ministers, claiming there is no unity government with the opposition. This comes after he offered opposition lawmakers to be part of the government to fight against COVID-19. To break down the latest from Malaysia and the region is Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times. Good morning, Leslie. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing good. Yeah, so let's break this down. Who will likely be the deputy? The speculation of Asbin Ali clinching this post. If true, how vital is he in preventing the fragile government from falling apart? Well, Asbin clearly is the name that's being bandied about as the so-called frontrunner. But, you know, this thing is, is going to be very tricky for the new prime minister, Ismail Sabri, because an appointment of Asbin can work both ways. We have to acknowledge that he played a crucial role in getting a block from the the previous Pakatan Harapan coalition to defect, which caused the government to collapse and paved the way for Muhyiddin to take over. But, you know, the situation has changed with so many disparate forces pulling at different directions that new PM could just simply decide to leave the post vacant because any appointment is bound to upset one side or the other. Yeah. And with a, only a three-seat majority, you know, it is going to be very, very difficult because an Azmin appointment is going to upset one faction or the other that could lead a pullout. And this could mean that the government could collapse again. And also there is some kind of opposition within Muhyiddin's party, which Mr. Azmin is also a member of, because he's seen as a Johnny-come-lately in the party. You know? So all of these are considerations that the new prime minister will have to weigh and no one knows when he does decide what the reactions will be in this very, very fractious, divided coalition that's just come to power again. Leslie, apart from Asbin, who else will we see on this coveted cabinet list? Well, you know, we have now another colleague from the Basatu, Asbin's colleague from the Basatu party, Hamza Zainuddin, who was the home minister in the previous Muhyiddin cabinet, senior member of the Basatu party. And there's also Muhammad Hassan, who's the deputy president of AMNO, who's also vying for the post. But, you know, here's an interesting point that we need to consider. Previously, the, the deputy prime minister's post, which is not a position that is in the, in the national constitution, was a coveted position because when the ruling coalitions were strong with more than a two-thirds majority, if anything happened to the premier, the deputy prime minister was seen as the guy who would be the natural successor. But that isn't the case now. With governments, with very, very slim parliamentary majority, should the prime minister resign, the whole cabinet resigns. 
So just like Ismail Sabri's case, while he was Deputy Prime Minister, he was the most convenient candidate for AMNO. So it's not a shoe in being the Deputy Prime Minister that you will get the Premier's job. So things have changed quite markedly in Malaysia. But clearly, you know, having the Deputy Prime Minister's job does raise your political prestige quite a bit. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Ismail has decided against a unity bipartisan government, despite the king signaling for one in his speech last week. Now, why has he done this? Well, you know, this is, I think it was never on the cards and there's been very little buy-in for a unity government. With everything so divided, I think they were just motherhood statements at best. And I think the past few months has shown that Politicians, particularly Malay politicians, have demonstrated quite a bit of defiance to the royalty. So even with the king suggesting that you know, a unity government would be the way to go to, to basically try and solve the, this political logjam that we are in, that this defiance, I think, is something we need to watch because this relationship uh, between the royalty and the Malay political parties is strained like never before. And it's a key pillar to the Malaysian power structure. Is that changing? I think the coming weeks will tell. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Yeah, we're in conversation with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times. Leslie, after sorting out the cabinet lineup, the pandemic situation will likely be the next priority on the agenda. Ismail announced 6 million doses will be arriving soon. Now, what other immediate concerns will he need to address? Oh, clearly, the, the immediate concern will be the economy. And, you know, I think there remains much frustration about how the health crisis has been handled because the new government and the PM, they're actually very much the same government we've had in the last 18, 18 months here in Malaysia, you know. So we already seen the impact of these prolonged lockdowns. Ford, for instance, in the U.S. has announced that it's facing disruptions in the production of four-wheel drives because of shortage of semiconductor components from Malaysia. Now, I think what's important here is that the government needs to demonstrate confidence that it has a handle on the situation, not just for Malaysians, but also for the foreign and local investment community. If these disruptions continue, you're going to have foreigners really reconsidering their position on whether Malaysia is actually an ideal ideal investment destination in this region. And there's a lot of competition now out there for foreign capital. So Malaysia needs to get its act together very, very quickly. Yeah, they certainly do. Now, shifting our focus to another political situation in the Philippines this time, uh, President Rodrigo Duterte says he plans to run for vice president. Now, what in the Philippine parliamentary system allows for such a move? And how would this boost his aid, Christopher Bongo's presidential candidacy? The system, it, it hasn't been tried before, but the system does allow for it. He serves a six-year term as president. He can't serve as president again, but it doesn't prohibit him from taking on the vice president's job. Now, Christopher Bong, is, this is going to be really interesting, interesting political situation and how it plays out is going to be equally something that we really must watch because President Jate's biggest worry is that 
he could face something similar to what has happened to previous presidents after they resign, which is their, their departures typically com- accompanied by graft charges against that person. So, and for the current president, one doesn't have to look very far because, you know, especially his anti-drug campaign that has, that has left many dead and his opponents wanting him to face some form of investigation by the International Criminal Court for Crimes Against Humanity. So this position with your with his own candidate as prime minister will actually offer some kind of shield against this kind of attempt on, you know, graft charges, criminal charges, and, and what have you. But I think what is going to happen is that Duterte has, has, has sprung a very interesting gambit because he remains popular and whoever that runs together with him or if he's part of that ticket clearly stands a very good chance. But we also see a rival contender, very famous international boxer, Manny Pagran, and who has the, who has the financial resources to mount a challenge. Now, the question is, will this Mr. Pagan make a challenge? And that would make this a very, very interesting brawl, actually. I just hope the COVID situation will, you know, will make it clear by then and get a chance to have some front row seats to this very good political brawl that's shaping up in the Philippines. You know? Yeah, it'll be quite interesting to see Manny Pacquiao there. Ultimately, this keeps uh, Duterte in a powerful position, even as vice president. It's a way of preserving his programs as he's limited by a, you know, a six-year term. Could we still see a different presidency? Well, you know, Christopher Bongo is very much a Duterte man. They, you could say that they're sort of like joint at the hip. He's been very loyal, supporter, ally, lieutenant of the, of the current president. And clearly someone who, who believes in the president's program. So you will see some continuity, I think, in, in what Duterte has put in place. And for the Philippines, it is hoped that, you know, the economic structures, actually, the economic programs will continue, you know, for, for the country to attract, especially investments in boosting its infrastructure networks. The thoughts of Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us this morning. Thank you. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.